You're listening to County Conversations, a podcast brought to you by the New York State Association of Counties. This episode is the first in a series NYSAC is producing that chronicles the county response to COVID-19. Mark Molinaro, Dutchess County Executive and President of the New York State County Executives Association, provides the following introduction for the series. It has been a year since the governor declared a state of emergency in New York and the World Health Organization declared we are in the midst of a global pandemic. At this time, a year ago, all of the county leaders pivoted from what they were doing to being 100% focused on protecting New Yorkers from this novel coronavirus. Counties have been on the front lines of this public health emergency since then. Today, we are focused on ending the pandemic by getting as many vaccines as we can. And as we get those vaccines for the state, we're turning them around as fast as we can. At the same time, this is a time we need to take stock of where we all have been as a society, as a state, as communities across this great state of New York. To look at where we were this time last year and how we got here, to recognize, talk about, and document what happened over the past 12 months so that we can learn from this experience. There were many things that went well and things that could have gone better. And if we don't remember those things and learn from them, then we are destined to repeat them. Last October, our county executives commissioned a book that would detail and document the county responses during this pandemic. Each county executive submitted a written or oral history of what happened in their county. What you are about to hear are some of the accounts that were recorded and transcribed for the book, which will be coming out in a couple of months. This podcast is focused on the early days of the pandemic, the point at which these county leaders realized how serious this public health crisis might become. From the first positive case in New Rochelle in Westchester County, to the death of a community icon in Montgomery County, to other upstate counties watching what was happening downstate and bracing for the virus to sweep through the rest of the state. County leaders knew that what happened on Long Island and New York City and Westchester and Rockland would ultimately swing around to all parts of the state. The tools that were used to combat this pandemic in the downstate regions helped upstate counties prepare for it. I am so proud of what our counties have done over this past year, and I salute these local leaders for their fortitude and courage. Their task was trying time-consuming and emotionally and physically draining, and yet they remained calm and answered the highest calling of public service. These are stories that needed to be documented so that those who were impacted can remember and those who come after these leaders can learn from their experiences. With that, I introduce the early days of the pandemic as told from the perspectives of several of New York's county executives. On March 10th, 2020, Governor Andrew Cuomo announced the creation of a containment area in the Westchester County town of New Rochelle. The move was in response to the first COVID cluster to appear in New York State. Westchester County Executive George Latimer recalls the start of the pandemic in his community. Now, we started out with a very serious contagion in New Rochelle, an individual who uh, was sick the weekend of the 22nd, 23rd, hadn't yet gone to the hospital, and during that period of time went to a religious service, went to a bar mitzvah, went to a funeral, and had the impact of infecting a number of other people in that congregation. So later that next week, he's in the hospital, 
And until we realize it's COVID, he has some impact on the people in the hospital, local hospital, primary care hospital of Bronxville. And uh, our DOH response begins fundamentally with dealing with his particular case and the circle of people that he related to. Our Department of Health people took on the responsibility of doing the detective work had he been in contact with and over what period of time. When we realized that he was in, you know, this close-knit uh, group of people through his religious institution, uh, and there was a good chance that many of them were um, were affected, the governor, who's now been part and parcel of all the decisions made, I think we all know that, uh, on these things, he made the determination that there were uh, Jewish day schools that had to be closed right off the bat. And so he did that with, with uh, SARS in Riverdale, which is where one of the children of the index patient went, uh, and then also uh, the other child went to yeshiva in the city. The closing of those two schools led the governor to create a, uh, he, you know, he called it a zone, within the week that uh, highlighted this one area of New Rochelle where there was a concentration of the residents. These folks were, uh, you know, of the Orthodox Jewish faith. They generally have to live within walking distance of their shul so that they don't have to drive to services on Saturday. So we had some geographic reality, and then within that zone, the governor went ahead to use his powers. The schools that fell within that area, three schools in the New Rochelle district, three schools, which is the whole uh, extent of the Tuckahoe district, and then a number of houses of worship, Jewish and Christian, that fell within that zone. During this period of time, the only testing we had was the in-home testing. Uh, it went uh, it went well, given how many you could do. I think we maxed it about 100 tests a day when we go to the individual home. We, we taxed all of our uh, healthcare professionals. You know, Westchester, we're not as big as Nassau and Suffolk. We're about the size of Erie. Obviously, we have a lot larger workforce than some of the smaller counties do. Uh, but it was pretty clear that in fairly short order, our folks were being taxed beyond what they could do. The state stepped in, and the state determined that they wanted to have a state DOH person actually administer the tests. They wanted to have the details of the testing uh, that that would be under their control. And so, uh, you know, the, the state then became the repository, as they are today, of all the testing results. Broome County Executive Jason Garner remembers the speed with which the pandemic moved into his county and how his county mobilized to treat it like a natural disaster. I don't think anything could prepare anybody for, for COVID. Um, to tell you how quickly COVID happened, um, I had certainly heard about uh, the coronavirus, COVID-19, um, you know, in, in other parts of the world, we were, we were following the news and, um, you know, in January and February, we were tracking some of the first cases that had appeared in the United States, but to, to show you how quickly this, this happened, and how quickly we reacted to it, I would say I had my state of the county address in mid to late February, and we didn't mention COVID. It had not impacted any part of Broome County or, or really any part of, of New York State. You know, our health department was looking at it, but it was something that, you know, wasn't even in my state of the county address. And within a month later, we had declared a state of emergency, um, shut down schools, and issued a number of emergency orders. So um, I've never seen uh, something like that happen so fast where, um, you know, one month we were kind of operating in a non-COVID 
environment, and then the next month it was all COVID all the time. Um, one of the, as, as we started to get into uh, this, as the cases started to come a little bit closer to Broome County, I was meeting quite a bit with my county executive team and with our with our health director and our director of our office of emergency services. We would come in and we had a number of meetings each day, uh, sometimes taking taking an hour or two each day at a time. And as uh, the cases uh, started to, to increase in frequency across the United States, while not hitting Broome County yet, um, I said, I think we are going to have to treat this, even though we haven't seen any cases in Broome County or really in any kind of touching Broome County. I said, I think we're going to have to treat this like we treat a flood, like a major flood or, or anything like that. I, I said, I think we're going to have to open up our uh, emergency operations center and we are all going to have to get in there and we are going to have to prepare for this like we would prepare for any other state of emergency. We've, we've never been here, you know, whether you're, you know, somebody who's been in public office 12 to 14 or 16 years, or you're somebody who came in in January and this hit you in, in March, you know, we are all in this together because nobody has ever been down this road before. There wasn't a book on the shelf that says, dust this off in case of emergency, break in case of emergency. This was, wow, what do we do now? County Executive PJ Wendell on the arrival of COVID in the rural western New York county of Chautauqua. Well, for us, it hit home on uh, March 15th, I call our day of infamy in Chautauqua County. Uh, that was a day at, uh, we convened a meeting at one o'clock. Uh, I was in my office by about 10, uh, going through my notes, gathering up my thoughts, uh, you know, realizing what we were going to do. Uh, that day, I declared a state of emergency, uh, met with all of our stakeholders here in the county. Uh, we're also, uh, we're on the conference call with the schools. Uh, and uh, so that's when it started in Chautauqua County, you know, March 15th. And then our first case was a little over a week later on March 23rd. But I think the one that stuck out the most was our 103-year-old woman who tested positive, uh, asymptomatic, really didn't know she had any symptoms, didn't have any symptoms, uh, was admitted to the hospital for another medical situation uh, condition and found out she tested positive for COVID. Uh, the best part was she recovered, fully recovered and was discharged from the hospital. So, you know, we likened it. I talked to family and I think they said they knew of one other person in the world uh, from Italy that was this old and had survived you know, the pandemic, uh, Spanish flu back in 1918, and now the pandemic of COVID-19. So interesting case, you know, uh, knowing the family uh, made it a little bit more special, but um, very unique case. It really will stick with me as, as we go through this. We'll be right back to the episode after this brief message from our sponsor. The New York Municipal Insurance Reciprocal, NIMR, writes property and casualty insurance for 33 counties in over 900 cities, towns, and villages all across New York State. Its mission for almost 28 years has been to provide the most comprehensive insurance and risk management programs for the local governments of New York State. Ontario County Board Chair and NYSEC President Jack Marin recalls when he learned of the first case in his Finger Lakes community. Yeah, it was about the third week of April. Um, and actually it was uh, two individuals husband and wife, they had been down in Florida for, uh, she had been down in Florida for a conference and uh, with her husband. And uh, when they came back, uh, she had experienced uh, some uh, 
health issues when they were down there, came back, flew back, and uh, certainly, and actually they uh, both reside in the town of Victor. So uh, uh, first two cases were in Ontario County, were in the town of Victor as well. So these are individuals that had traveled out. We border a large county, Monroe County, with many Ontario County residents commute to and from Monroe County for work. I really, I knew we were at risk, uh, certainly just based on that uh, as well. Communicate the, the commuters though, certainly many of the businesses by this time are now, uh, you know, we had the, the, sh the gradual shutdown of businesses, 50%, 75%, then 100%. So that risk was probably uh, minimal, but still, still there uh, as well. One of my first meetings actually was with a number of uh, the ambulance corps and the uh, fire chiefs, code enforcement folks, just to get an understanding of what their needs would be from a uh, equipment standpoint. Because uh, I've always been impressed. I've never, I never unfortunately served in the, in the military nor was a volunteer fireman, but I've always been very impressed with the structure that uh, these individuals follow. So I really utilize them uh, in the town of Victor and at the county as a resource and uh, in creating, I'll, I'll use the term um, in the town of Victor, a COVID-19 committee to provide. Uh, and what they actually did was write, wrote uh, safety procedures with staff and other departments. Uh, you know, we included finance, uh, you know, IT, things of that, those departments, but uh, they wrote safety procedures here at the town, and uh, we uh, utilized them at the same time at, at the county as well. So um, emergency management, uh, ambulance, just having an understanding what they needed for resources. And then uh, thank God, really, that I, I'm fortunate uh, being the NISAC president and then as a board chair, having the uh, many resources out there being state uh, contacts uh, with various agencies, as well as elected officials, both at the uh, state and federal level, to uh, request uh, assistance with uh, resources. All right, we had our first case in Monroe County on March 11th. Monroe County Executive Adam Bell. Um, which is a day I can remember like it was yesterday, uh, receiving news because obviously we were following it and talking to the public, preparing the public and ourselves for our first case uh, starting back in January with regular media events, uh, bringing our hospital systems together and offering advice to the community, particularly around uh, receiving flu vaccinations, how to prevent this, the spread of the flu in context to the fact that this was a growing global pandemic and we knew that that uh, there was that potential always existed that the virus could come here. Uh, we've, we made a decision early on that we wanted to act together as a community by bringing, we have two hospital systems that, that, that serve Monroe County. We wanted to make sure that both of them were on the same page as the county health department um, and our local leaders. So we all had the same message to the community. Uh, the second thing that we wanted to make sure uh, that, that we had in place was um, uh, open communication. We felt transparency in the, in, in, uh, the, the face of an unknown uh, like a virus like this in the community was important and critical. So even when we learned of our very first case and didn't really know every detail about it, and the contact tracing had just started, we still made a presentation to the public to let them know the virus is here. Um, we had our first case. This is how it's being addressed. This is what we know and this is what we don't know. And we kept that pace of transparency up right through the whole pandemic, um, even today, where we have daily announcements 
of what are our case numbers, where are we seeing it, where are clusters, uh, and offering advice to the public on how to respond. Um, and we thought those were important. Oneida County Executive Anthony Pacente recalls when he began to realize the magnitude of the crisis and began to take proactive steps to respond. And then in March, things started hitting home, and especially when downstate, uh, in, in downstate counties like Ulster and others, were starting to see the impact and things were happening on that level that we were uh, so well aware of. And so in doing so, being in upstate New York, we're a little bit different, you know, in terms of the of the movement of the virus, but nonetheless, uh, the fear, the concerns, and the the issues that we were facing. So, just like uh, you know, we were as as Pat Pat said with uh, with Ulster and Duchess and in uh, Orange County, uh, we also closed schools on March 13th. So for us, the state of emergency began on March 13th. And I recall, you know, we called we closed schools and and I talked to. Uh, I think Mark Molinaro that day as well, because when they were getting ready to close schools in, in Dutchess County and, and others, and we took that action and we had yet to have a case, but nonetheless saw the urgency and let's, let's attack this, you know, as quickly as possible. And we did that. And the first step was closing schools, closing senior centers, the things that were closest to this virus in that initial phase that we saw. But I recall we're driving home that, that, that night and, um, and coming in on the next day, which was a Saturday, which uh, the days just blended for months because there were this there were just seven day weeks and continued and continued and continued. But I re remember driving in that day or the, or the sleepless night uh, that that night before, and and just in thinking about the state of emergency to what we had done. And so I'll go back to the storms for a minute. When you have a storm, when you have a flood, when you have you know, things happening in the community that people can see, they can react to those states of emergency. We were in a state of emergency that people hadn't seen. And in particular, in my county, no cases had been had been discovered yet. And even so, though, Ulster County is not far away and New York City is not far away, it's still far away in people's minds that things are happening in other places and not here. How do we address that? So I felt we needed to address it head on very quickly and be prepared. Montgomery County Executive Matthew Awesomefort reflects on the deep impact of the first COVID death in his community and recalls the outpouring of support and grief for Dave Swart, a beloved member of their community who lost his life to the virus. One is a very personal story and I, I always like to try to share um, uh, personal um, experiences because um, you know it really helps you know uh, helps people feel what the moment was like. Um, we had our first uh, COVID death was a, a gentleman by the name of Dave Swart, D-A-V-E-S-W-A-R-T. Um, Dave was a uh, longtime and retired Amsterdam firefighter who uh, him and his wife, Pam, were very uh, well-known members of the community, very active members of the community. Um, and not only was Dave a uh, firefighter retired, but he also had a hot dog stand called Dave's Dogs that was uh, very, uh, very much beloved in the community. And, you know, COVID for Montgomery County really, um, you know, started at a slow pace. We're a small rural community and we began to get uh, some positive cases. And as we were attempting to wrap our head around what was happening around us, um, and most notably in New York City, um, we knew that 
the uh, pandemic was something that was going to be uh, both challenging but also tragic and we but we did not yet feel that uh, in any personal way in Montgomery County until um, uh, Mr. Swart did uh, contract the uh, virus um, and uh, did become uh, ill and was had to be uh, transferred and admitted to our local hospital. Um, and in addition to that happening, um, his wife uh, really uh, was not shy about making that information public uh, about both his hospitalization and his positive test. Um, and at that point, uh, we only had 12 confirmed positive cases um, and no deaths. So, um, you know, it was still uh, very early on. And, you know, uh, Montgomery County is a very much a place that, you know, our, our community institutions are our schools, our fire departments, our police departments, our restaurants. And, you know, certainly the Swart family was very much ingrained, ingrained in that. And when the news came out that uh, Mr. Swart was not doing well, um, there was literally a uh, gathering of people outside of the hospital to just try to show their respect and their, um, their, their support for the Swart family. And for me personally, um, it was not just a well-known member of the community, uh, Dave's son, who also is, has the name Dave, um, was a good friend of mine in high school and we played football together and we've known each other since we were young. So uh, for me as the you know, leader of uh, uh, the, the county and, and, and trying to manage and, 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 and direct the county in a way um, that you know, was, was uh, helping us get through this, um, you know, this was chronicled day by day um, in our local newspapers. And like I said, you know, even after it was in the local papers that he was in the hospital, um, there was even an article in the paper that says, you know, the headline read, Amsterdam man with COVID-19 takes a turn for the worst. Um, the subheadline was, quote, we need a miracle. People gather at St. Mary's to pray for Dave Swart. So at a time when we did not yet experience the tragedy and the loss uh, that has come along with COVID in such a big way, we had a, a, a person in the community and a family in the community that really and truly, um, you know, touched uh, thousands of people and the com community responded in a big way. And there was a, such an outpouring of support at that hospital. Um, the local fire department uh, came and um, uh, brought their trucks down as a show of support. Um, and, and people really rallied together. And unfortunately, um, Dave ended up losing his life. And um, it was a, a death that was felt by uh, the entire community and really was a very personal eye-opening experience for what was to come. So, um, you know, it, it has been a difficult, uh, you know, a difficult situation. Um, the wound is still open for the Swart family. Um, you know, every step of the way is uh, is felt. You know, the ups, the downs, the the challenges of trying to get people to follow social distancing and and protective measures to keep others safe at a time where some don't necessarily still don't understand the the real impact. And it just was a very um, uh, very personal, community-driven 
experience. Um, it wasn't just a, a number um, on a website or on a stat sheet. Um, it was something that really, uh, you know, uh, began this process uh, of, of feeling that tragedy um, for the community in Amsterdam and Montgomery County in general um, in a very real way uh, with the first um, loss of life. This pandemic has, in one way or another, affected every single one of us. Whether you lost someone to this disease, lost a job, or just lost a way of life, this pandemic has taken something from all of us. But it has also shown us glimpses of what we can be when we're at our best. As local government leaders and private citizens alike rose to meet the challenges of this time and gave of themselves to try to help others. On behalf of NISAC, thank you for listening to this very special episode of County Conversations and sharing the memories and lessons learned from the early days of the pandemic. We hope you'll join us next month for the next installment of this series, which will revisit the work counties did to slow the spread of the virus and adapt to providing essential services to our residents amid a global pandemic. Until then, thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to this episode of County Conversations. NISAC will be releasing additional episodes in this series chronicling the county response over the course of the next several months. To listen to more episodes of the podcast, visit nisac.org slash podcast.